Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. And welcome, welcome. to episode 11 of Two Gays, One Episode. It's 11. A, uh, a homoerotic <laughs> teasing episode of Two Gays, One Episode. <laughs> I'm Alex. And I'm Go Jesus. And uh, what episode are we talking about today, Michael? We're going to be talking about episode 24, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Dove, wow, or uh, whatever or the, final the other title is called. Okay. Final Messenger. The, the Final Messenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. This is a lovely episode. Yes. This is a very gay episode. <laughs> I I know, personally speaking... Every sense of the word. When I watched this, I was very much still closeted to myself, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it really... Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that helped me recontextualize myself as like, oh gayness isn't so bad or unusual so it's a very significant episode to me and a lot of other lgbt people uh including yourself i presume uh it's just always nice to <laughs> yeah don't speak for me how dare you <laughs> <laughs> also i have a cold sorry <laughs> very mild cold but it's making it hard to breathe <laughs> this episode was written by your favorite writer and then my Queen... favorite writer <laughs> My favorite Evangelion writer, the new sitcom coming to ABC this fall. Like my favorite version, (laughs) but it's my favorite Evangelion writer. And it's me living with Akio Satsukawa in an apartment and him not writing anything. (laughs) Worked as a writer for like 20 years. It was cleaned up by Hideaki Anno. We actually just read the original version or the final draft of Satsukawa's script. And a a lot of it made it in um, to this episode. A lot of it was also toned back. But uh, I really love the final way mm-hmm. that this came out. Uh, both Ano and Satsukawa did a great job um, with yep. this one. Uh, and who was it directed director, by? The Alex? direction in this. Who was it directed by? It was directed by Masayuki, who only has one name, like Cher, uh, and Shuichi <laughs> Masuo, who passed away in 2017. Uh, but they both did a really good job with this episode. I think the direction is actually very noteworthy in this episode can you clarify if uh one of the directors is just attached because of the director's cut or that's a very good question i have no idea um well there's it's just very unusual for there to be two directors on an episode so i'm wondering if like maybe another director came in to add the i don't know how i can look that up (laughs) i have no idea where how i can look that up but uh well it is very odd for there to be two directors (laughs) anyway it's possible. I imagine it would be Shuichi Masuo because he's kind of one of Ano's like main. He worked on all the rebuild films, uh, mm-hmm. all of them, even the one that came out way after he passed away. So <laughs> that's interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, episode twenty-four, fantastic episode. Love it. Opens with a dark, disturbing scene, very dark, disturbing scene where Oscar is running to tell her mother. Hey, I made it, I did it, I did it. I became an Evangelion pilot. Aren't you proud of me? And she opens the door, and her mother's hanging there. She's just hanging around. Um, uh, that's a bad joke. Uh, she hung herself. And Asuka's kind of having, I guess, a, a dark flashback to this. And then there is a director's cut-only scene where Asuka is told by Shinji that Kaji is dead. Uh, this isn't really necessary, and I think kind of messes up the flow of this a little bit. It does. From... Well, you know, you you have the Oscar mom hanging herself, and then it originally cut to her in the bathtub, and that worked out yeah. really, really well because it's like it's a emotionally connected. 
but um it's like oh why is she suicidal it's because of you know this kind of psychological issue which is she the root probably of it. repressed yes <laughs> if i'm but, honest she's probably repressed this that she saw her mother's that would be horrifying if you came home to find your parent had hung themselves when you were like five you wouldn't even understand what was going on um, but the, so that's incredibly the, yeah the the director's cutscene with shinji and asuka is meant to tie into eoe but i also yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. that's necessary as like eoe more closely matches episode 15 emotionally and uh i mm-hmm. yeah it just it, it it's just give it or give or take basically i do think it this one diminishes it i want to say i don't know if you agree with me but all of the director's cutscenes pretty much are takeaway i think from this episode if any of the episodes needed or i think the original is the definitive version um the original on air yeah. for this one. I, I, yeah. I agree. I don't think any of the director's cut scenes in this episode are especially necessary. They're all mainly to service End of Evangelion, but I don't think they really do a great job at that, and I don't think they needed to do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think it is a important... It's kind of an important moment, though, in the scheme of the show, because I think otherwise... Masa- uh, not Masato. Asuka never finds out that Kaji's dead. Um so yeah i think it does give it lends credibility to why she's so despondent and yeah the the um i just want to say that the imagery with asuka in the bathtub is really striking and it's one of the most like for me one of the more memorable images of the episode or evangelion in general because she's gone Mm. to this abandoned building to yeah while like wither away and and starve herself to death in a bathtub um it's kind of like yeah it's pretty brutal and i it's disturbing and i think the water in the bathtub by the way i think it's just supposed to be dirty but it looks like blood it looks like she's lying in a pool of her own blood like she slit her wrists or something but i don't think that's actually what happened i don't think think that's what happened either but maybe it's like an on purpose like subtextual thing because oh yeah absolutely yeah 100%. 100%. So. It's meant to look like her blood. It's meant to look like blood. Um, but I think it's just filthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, Okay, and then after this deeply dark, disturbing scene, we have Masato and Hyuga talking. They are talking about how basically the security people probably let her get away, because how else did this like sickly, <laughs> depressed girl just get away from the security, nerf security forces? And they think, you know what, they're, they're kind of screwing with us in operations. Um, but but really, the whole point of this scene in the previous one, in terms of the structure of this episode, is to tell us Asuka's out of the way. Asuka cannot be a pilot anymore. She's done. Which sets up the introduction of her replacement, which is Kaoru. And the whole episode is really, honestly, it's all about Kaoru. The whole episode. Uh, we have a scene after that where shinji is just kind of lying in bed reflecting on what happened in the last episode with the rays all dying he's remembering it lying in bed going huh that was that was kind of weird and he comments on the fact that uh ray is a clone of his mother and he's wondering like why the hell did nerve do that what the what the hell is dad thinking making clones a mom he's playing god etc etc uh, so, so what do you think of 
all is i guess well the next scene connects to ritzko in prison correct what i kind of like so far about this is that everything is logically kind of tying into each other like the the scenes have Mm -hmm. more of a flow than i'm used to from evangelion um so just like logically right because you transition in ways that are very logical so first we have Mm -hmm. like oscar and then we have like that tying into how oscar is being replaced so you have that connection uh, from one scene mm-hmm. to the next, and then you have, um, and then you have uh, uh, Shinji kind of connecting with that beat of like Kaoru, and it's like, oh, the new boy uh, who is a clone, and then we connect with like Shinji thinking about Ray, true, and that she is a clone, true, true, true. and <laughs> and then uh, we get that connection from Ray to Ritsuko who killed the Ray clone, so we we're kind of transitioning logically, like kind of between it's like the scenes are very. Uh, they're cut together in a way that I really, really enjoy. Um, it makes sense, like, transitionally, why we're going from one to the next. And yeah. usually I think Ava is pretty random with its kind of, like, cuts, it's where it's <laughs> like, oh, you know, uh, why are we jumping to this next character? Well, it's, oh, it's just the B plot line and whatnot. But uh, yeah. here it's really linked together. I really I really dig it. I think it's, I think it's smarter, more elegant to do it that way. Um, so I appreciate that yeah. as a writing we're technique. Also s- friend of ava too we're also seeing kind of where all the main characters are at this point what their what their status we have to yeah we have to um uh still tie in all the characters and there's a lot to juggle but i think they do it really well um so gendo is talking to ritsuko in this next scene and and he doesn't really give a crap about what's going on with ritsuko uh he's more concerned that yeah. she just destroyed the dummy plugs with all the rays and things like that, uh, which uh, is obviously, I think Ritsuko's doing that to, partly to dig at Gendo. She seems to have personal squabble with him as he's not made love to her. You're not made love to me, <laughs> and uh, she she says I haven't. I don't feel anything when you make love to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she says and, to him, and so. uh, it's. There's there's strain going on in the relationship. Ritsuko's falling into the same trap her mother did, is kind of being used. So she's fighting back. She's realizing that, and fighting back. Um, yeah. And uh, he asks like, "Why did you kill Ray?" And she says, um, "Because she was jealous, and that she was basically expendable." That's my that's so my she... thoughts on it. That's not in the episode. She says oh, okay. she says something to the effect of, "I don't feel anything for you anymore." Basically. Right, right. I well, she, I meant to say that she is jealous, and uh, and that, she's, that's what I think. I think yeah. she's jealous of Ray. No, bit. I totally agree. Yeah, I think she's jealous, and she basically recognizes that um, that she is because she's been put in the place of Ray several times now. I think twice, yeah. right? So it's kind of like, yeah. well, and, and I think her, she wanted to hurt Gendo. Yeah, she's trying to. Get I, back I think to it's Gendo. really. I. Th- I really don't want to think that Ritzka wants revenge on a 14-year-old girl or that she's threatened by a 14-year-old girl because it's so pathetic. <laughs> it's really hard for me to reconcile that in my head with the character because I like the character and it's it's appealing in its own way because it think... is so pathetic. But I mean, she was, yeah. she was humiliated, uh, debased by him and... She yeah, was yeah, the yeah. one who's seen as expendable and it's kind of, it, there's it's a little bit of a mockery when you think about it because you know gendo she helped make ray in part she made ray mm-hmm. um to in part to to be like okay well this is just the a tool like ray's not really yeah. even 
kind of a person. Well, no, it's Ray just like was we need her. For Ray this. was made to try and resurrect Yui. I forget where I read that, but it makes a lot of sense. So they were trying to clone Yui to recreate her. And they but at this point, instead. it's it's being used more point, as yeah, a pilot. She's a tool. And and she's I think I think there's a kind of humiliation to that where it's like you can make a million rays, you can only make one of me, but you're you're choosing mm-hmm. her constantly. It's like that's kind of BS. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I really like Ritzko. Scene, by the way, I think I like Ritzko. I think Ritz, even if she, Ritzko is so underrated. even if that were true and she was jealous of a fourteen year old, I think that's really kind of fascinating, even in how pathetic it is. So it it wouldn't. It annoys me a little bit. It bothers me a little bit, but it, it's not uh, the worst thing ever. Um, um, I also really love the direction of this. I love the way the nerve logo in the background and the two characters in the foreground, mm-hmm. and then just kind of removing elements as they're talking. It's almost the whole scene is almost done literally in just one wide shot, which was probably done to save money. But <laughs> I still appreciate it. All these little avant garde film techniques to save money are cool. <laughs> it feels very theater in a way in this. Yes because yep. it's it, it's just like oh the spotlights the nerve logo in the background it reminds me a lot of you know a stage play uh it's kind of <laughs> interesting um and then i think the light on gendo just turns off and that's how he disappears if that's correct yes. it's just it like is, yeah. <sighs> the nerve logo and gendo disappear yeah. at the same time which i think yeah. is also supposed to suggest ray being eclipsed by the the whole organization of nerve and how she's just kind of a a, a pawn for nerve really mm-hmm. uh i also really love and this is this is all in Sasuke's script a lot of the dialogue Ritsuko has here is in Sasuke's script and i think he's just really good at making a character even when they're being sad pathetic and and lonely making them just so human and uh sympathetic and having these qualities that you just look at and, and uh, are endearing even when they're so pitiful. Uh, so he's really good at that. Because I, I thought in the last episode, Ritzko's sort of madness when she was destroying Ray was off-putting, but I think Satsuka was really good at just contextualizing it in a good way. Yeah. And uh, so the next scene is with Shinji kind of standing at the crater. Yeah, and... uh, yeah pretty much. So he, he quickly looks at AV Unit 2, and he mentions something about Asuka. Then he goes to the crater, which was created from the, the Armisail implosion. And so it's just him going from, like, the Asuka thing to the Ray thing, because it's where Ray died. And he's sort of... I think it's kind of interesting as well that in the original uh, script, he was talking to AV Unit 1, but they decided to make it AV Unit 2 here, uh, that he's yeah. kind of thinking yeah. about it um it it's sort of because i think that the focus is being placed now on shinji's aloneness um so shinji's yep. like thinking about how uh, re- reflecting on how asuka is no longer here and how rei is no longer here and then so his friends are gone and he thinks about like toji and kensuke too while at the crater and how they're mm-hmm. just like everyone's left at this point shinji has no one he doesn't have masato or anything like that either she's too busy yeah with stuff. he's not comfortable with masato he's not comfortable around her because she's been passed completely <laughs> isolated and and has gone to this crater um in part to reflect on his isolation uh and that's when kaoru appears and they're and he's humming, humming ode to joy which is yeah i think it's kind of ironic because shinji's like the probably the least happy he's been for a long time at this point 
and then you have somebody who comes in with like joy and happiness and i think that choice to add ode to joy is kind of really good right like that the mm-hmm. irony that juxtaposition but also how kaoru is going to bring him happiness and joy it's it's kind of it's kind of genius you know like mm-hmm. um to to bring that in and i know in the original script he was playing the piano uh did it specify it didn't that say he, what was... he was playing no but ode no. to joy a classical piece like that is totally something either Ano or Satsukawa would add, so I don't know which it is. It could be either of them. They both love classical music, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. Um, but, yeah. Ode to Joy was also the uh, national anthem of Germany for a while. I don't know if you know this. It's the national anthem of Europe. It was, but specifically, it was used for Germany for a while, like many years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it kind of connects him to the idea of, like, Sele, right? Where you have Lorenz Kiel, who's the head of, of like... Yeah. Um, Germany I think and so it's kind of it's like foreshadowing the alliance as well if you're familiar with the history of Ode to Joy um, that Kaoru is Mm -hmm. kind of connected to the villains in some way Uh, it's got multiple meanings I think Uh, because it's it was written as an as a you you wrote over here that it's written as an anthem for God and and that is very true it was used um, yes uh as a tribute to God and Kaoru is very Jesus like and then you know so um well, if you speak 18th if you speak 19th century German the lyrics do mention God and like all embrace God embraces all of us with his love or something like that it's a lot of that so uh it also it so also kind makes of like a characters... triple meaning <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways it also makes all the characters feel really small when uh and the way the, the sh- uh, there's a lot of I noticed there's a lot of wide shots in this episode when I was watching it. There's a lot of looking at these characters and them being really tiny in the frame. And it gives this uh, sort of grandiose feel that all the characters and all their problems are really tiny in comparison to everything else that's going on in the world. Like Shinji is almost praying at the beginning of this scene. Uh, he's not down on his knees and clasping his hands or anything, but he he's at the crater and he's saying, everyone's gone, I'm all alone. And as if it's an answer to his prayer, he hears this boy, this perfect boy, humming this perfect song. And he looks at him and he's like, oh, you are literally an answer to my prayers. Um, and he's like sitting on an angel statue and it's... It's just, it's crazy good. It's really good. So credit to the director and both writers and all that. Yeah, the thing is as well, right, is that he's elevated above Shinji. He's like sitting on top of this uh, broken structure mm-hmm. and he is on high. And uh, and it's it, it kind of puts him hierarchically in this place where it's like he is otherworldly immediately just by the way that it's blocked. And uh, Yes, um, but he's sitting back in a carefree position. So even though he's looking down at him, he's relaxed. It's it's yeah, the, it's very interesting. The, the characterization's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So the characterization is basically that he's domineering, he's over top of Shinji, he's uh he's more powerful than him, but he's benevolent. <laughs> so it's 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 an interesting way to direct it. And actually, I don't know if I should mention this now, but every scene between Kaoru and Shinji, Kaoru is above shinji in some way including yeah him. yeah including in like the if you remember in the bed and stuff like that too yeah, even in the on. bed even in the bed scene yeah. kaoru's on the high bed and shinji's on the floor it's really interesting um 
I know that uh, Hideaki Anno once said that Shinji wants to aspire to be like him in a lot of ways. And I think Mm -hmm. that Kaoru is, he's somebody who ironically is also meant to be very um, self-destructive in part. Um, Yeah. Like there was that in in the original script, uh, there was mention of Kaoru having self-harmed as well, which was taken out of the final episode. But there is this like self-destructive, almost nature to him that he embraces his death and accepts it willingly uh, at Shinji's hand later on. But, but the, the thing is that like Kaoru is, Kaoru is a, is somebody who Shinji believes has it all together. Like that. He's somebody who is like, uh, is just, is happy, um, intelligent, uh, doesn't let things get to him in a lot of ways. And there's admiration there. Um, and also love, but uh, in reality, the reality of the situation is that Kaoru has like maybe a l- some things going on where he is self isolated yes. as as just as mm-hmm. just a part of his character or as a human. If we're looking at him as a character, I think that there is an easy reading to be had that there is uh, that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. That that he's not mm-hmm. as like necessarily on high as Shinji perceives him to be, which I think is. Uh- interesting <laughs> I, I think there's a contrast between Kaoru's nature as an angel and his humanity and yeah. his human nature i think there's a contrast um which is like what i think you're getting at Kaoru is also a chad when it comes to his self-destruction because shinji can't even bother <laughs> to self-destruct properly <laughs> but... <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah he's a little more assertive <laughs> sure okay um but uh uh all the all this to say is that I think I think it's misplaced because Shinji should see him as an equal and not as somebody who's necessarily on high, um, but he mm-hmm. he just is not psychologically there to be able to see his own goodness and things like that because Shinji is very self hating but he's if you actually look at what he's done he's actually a pretty good person overall I think yeah, and he doesn't well deserve to be as at the very least he's, he has good intentions. He doesn't deserve um, to be as critical with himself as he is, I think. No, he's too hard on himself. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not useful to be hard on yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So Shinji's immediately smitten with Kaoru, really. I mean, he's, like, blushing. Uh, it's pretty obvious, right? So. Yeah. He's pretty smitten with him. He's a little... He likes him. He uh, is embarrassed by him a little bit. Like, he's almost not used to this. Because Kaoru's words are really honeyed and, and kind, and thoughtful and introspective in a way that I don't think Shinji's used to because he's used to any mis- any advice and she gives him advice at the end of this episode any advice Masato gives him is basically make hard choices move on with your life and pick yourself up and, and move on which if you're depressed and you don't know how to do that someone telling you stand up on your own two feet and do this you're not going to know how so Kaoru telling him that he is too hard on himself and he needs to be he needs to go easier on himself is much more useful to someone like shinji who's depressed and doesn't like himself than just stand up and do it that doesn't that's not helpful um at least initially i think kaoru is also giving shinji a lot of what he wants to hear but not necessarily um what he needs to at part at points because potentially potentially but well 
you know, when you have a character who is, who is so lacking in affection um, from mm-hmm. a familial perspective and a romantic perspective, but craves kind of both of those things. Yeah. And Kaoru comes in as a very like paternal, also boyfriendy type of figure and, yeah. and just showers him in this adoration. Losing that becomes a point of codependency where it makes it even worse now because Shinji's become reliant on th- on him for his happiness and validation. Shinji wants this external validation and Kaoru yeah. kind of gives it to him but in a way that it it's not it's not really like helping him to appreciate himself first, you know? It's it's more of like I will be this thing for you. I will I will validate you for you. And so now you need me. Kind and of. I don't think that it's an intentional nefarious thing or anything, but I think that's kind of the outcome, right? And it's sort of a warning about about this type of stuff where if you're in a bad headspace and you have somebody who comes to you and is this warm blanket, um like to be a part of a romance, you have to both be individuals. You have to both want each other but not need each other if that makes sense. And Shinji seems to need Kaoru more than than anything. So that's kind of... that's re- It's just a very cynical take on what is essentially puppy love, I think. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's just... <laughs> he's still just like a 14-year-old boy looking for companionship and he has none. It's all that I can think of, but... I know what you're saying, and I know you're right about what you're saying. Is you do. I'm not saying that it's a, and you do need to find your own self worth. You can't get self worth from someone else making you feel worthy. You have to find self worth from your own actions. Yes, but and I, and, and it's, but it's I I think so, I think that, and I've heard this take before, and it's correct. It's just I've uh, yeah. Go on, go on. I think the pro- I think the problem is that it's not that Kaoru is is like loving him or being someone who's there for him. It's that Shinji himself is so in, in such a low position that this isn't really the right time for that, if that makes sense. I don't think it's like a cynical take necessarily kind of. on it because all I'm, all I'm saying is that that I think that to be in love with somebody properly, mm-hmm. you have to sort out most of your issues first. I think that's what it is. It's just, it you know, like with Yui and Gendo, like Gendo didn't kind of figure himself out and didn't figure out his problems and was praised out of nowhere by Yui and kind of like clung to that as a form of, of dependence. And so it's, it kind of, it, it becomes, it becomes toxic only because when you lose that person after becoming codependent with them, uh, you're completely lost. Um, and so it's like, if they can't be there forever and you aren't an independent unit first, then it's, it's very difficult to find companionship in that way that, uh, that doesn't end up being codependent. Um, uh, I'm just saying that there's like dependency issues going on here. Um, and I, I really, I'd like the, the puppy love angle and stuff like that too. And I think that, that, that there is that, but the outcome is, is that this became a source of trauma for him after this so yeah uh to degree yeah oh uh, yeah yeah um i mean do you dis do you disagree like what do you disagree with exactly what i already said i said i i don't i i think that's i think it's too uh 
I think it's more complicated than that. I don't think you... Like, I don't know that Yui praised Gendo, and I don't know that Kaoru is even really praising Shinji here. He's just telling him... He's in, he's basically doing what Kaji did. He's just nicer than Kaji. He's a little less... Kaji's kind of cold. He's a little detached, and Kaoru is warmer and more direct and more open and just flat out tells him, like, you should have more awareness of your station. You should be... You should know yourself better. And Shinji doesn't want it. And Shinji's more accepting of that from Kaoru than he is from, say, Kaji or Masato, which I, I think is useful because I think people do need people. I know this is like you can't love someone else until you love yourself, which is true, but I, I think you still need people. If you don't have people in your life, you're never going to learn to love yourself. If Not that you need the other people or that you want other people to be in that position but being you, you can't you can't we're social creatures right so you can't just learn to do that on your own you need to learn it from other people to a to an extent to a degree um and becoming secure in yourself from doing things with other people too is important uh i'm I, we're, we're kind of getting out of the scope of evangelion here really with what we're saying um but I do understand what you're talking about. Well, I think that part of the the argument of the show is to syst systematically remove Shinji's support units, and yes. the and it kind of begs the question of like, how do you find happiness when there is nobody there? And if and the answer is like, I think that you have to. It has to be from within and derived from the self because there has to be an ego love of some kind. Because if if there yeah. isn't if you're relying on others for that, the, the people come and go, and that's kind of the argument, right? And so it's just like mm -hmm. I think that uh, you have to be prepared for when everyone else is gone, and that you can't rely on others for your happiness. And so it's like you need to appreciate that your actions are like that you do good in the world, that you're a good person, and there's mm -hmm. not enough. There's not enough ego in Japan. That's pretty much the, I think, the issue. Right. Because if Japanese culture sees themselves as cogs in the machine, as de as uh, non-individuals, and kind of like that yeah. is the that is the goal to aspire from, and and I think I think the show is is criticizing that mentality of that that we're just cogs. It's like that. No, we're. Mm -hmm. I think it's saying like we're individuals, um, and that self-examination is important. You can't just be like shove your own problems aside because uh it's what's better for everyone else you have to self-examine that includes mental illness and other things like that like uh self-healing in that way but also self-love from uh just an understanding that you've done good that your intentions are good that you're not a bad person and if you assure yourself that like that, that you've been that you've done the best you can and that's all you can do uh i think that that's a uh, I think that's a good thing um, in the worldview yeah, of Ava. Yeah. I just think it's a bit draconian. I think it's a bit overtly draconian. Like, the, your new friend is not going to suddenly disappear because you're forced to, like, crush him and his head pops off. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's more just, like, metaphorical for, uh, for you know, a, like a tough breakup type of deal, right? Yeah. So, it's... I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree that coll pure collectivism is good. I just, yeah, I just think that um, it, it's like, 
Well, Ava's not harsh. hyper. I think it's a little too harsh. I think I think Ava's not necessarily hyper individualistic either, right? Because it sort of argues that that uh, ego is important and the and healing of the self is important to the degree that you can interact with others and that that's enjoyable. That like love is 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 important and it's something that we need to function. It's like social. It's not solipsistic mm-hmm. or like losing itself in the ego. It's understanding that self-love is required mm-hmm. to be able to properly interact with others and to love others too. It's like yeah. it, giving other people love and receiving love, I think is best taken when you're not coming from a place of like self-hatred first. Desperation. And yeah. And desperation. And, and yeah. desperation too. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's different though than needing to be totally self-confident and self-assured in every possible way it's like yeah it's just yeah it's well i think that i think that there's a i think that there's like um a fine line between you know getting pick-me-ups from people and being like codependent if that makes sense so like relying on uh another individual for your happiness and self-assurance because shinji does that with gendo um and is now doing that with kaoru ultimately I don't uh, think he's doing that with Kaoru, though. That's my problem. I don't think he's necessarily doing that with Kaoru. Um, I think he's just desperate. And I think with Gendo, he's codependent. I think he needed Gendo to say, like... Yeah. He, he hung on Gendo's every word until Kaji told him to stop, basically. I think, yeah, and I um, think that... But he's not, you know, like, Kaji helping him is, is a good thing because it's just, like... Yeah. Some you do need other people to open your eyes to these issues and to help move on from those types of things. Um, I I definitely think that's true, but it I think it's also true that you do need um, you do need to be prepared for when life is crap to you and that you don't have others. So and that's kind of the point I think it's it's not it's not that others are bad or that people helping you is bad or that like relying mm-hmm. on help is bad it but it, but what is bad is relying on someone else for your happiness i think it's just like that i cannot be happy without this person that's kind of that's kind of a, a weird way to look at the world i think um like okay i'm married i have a husband it would be uh-huh. awful if like something horrible happened to him um and I would like hate that, but I would not self-destruct because of it in the sense that it's like, I would move on from my life. I would move on with my life. I would still be a creative person. I'd still want to live it to its full. I wouldn't take my life because it's a tragedy that happened. <laughs> well, I'd hope not. But... Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that like, I think e- even in the worst case scenario, um, you have to persist and and that's something that is the case but um is i think it's the case for what end of eva kind of asserts and establishes but in eotv and in end of eva after this event uh where he is forced to kill kaoru shinji does self-destruct like very very hard yeah he definitely self-destructs after this i was gonna say i think that's misato's perspective and i think the show does an okay job showing slightly different perspectives because kaji's perspective is totally different than masato's perspective even masato is Mm -hmm. hard masato is harsh with shinji she is every piece of advice she ever gives him is super harsh whereas kaji is a bit more balanced kaji is a bit more 
I definitely um, think Masato's and speech supportive. with Shinji does worsen the problem instead of how yeah. No, I think it... yeah. But anyway, we'll but get that's to that because minute, I. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so, so Kaoru um, and Shinji, Shinji's definitely attracted to him. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, in the original script, they even kiss at one point. Don't tell yes. me it ain't gay. It's gay. Uh, it was. It was pr- probably toned down for for executive notes for or production. like Ano felt like it was even too the far production. Or even the people so. working on the production were uncomfortable with it. I found it. Nineteen ninety five was like, a was an era. Yes. <laughs> it was a different time. Doesn't um, change as much as I'd like. And uh, Kaoru is like can synchronize with any Ava unit. Um, he's pretty much the best Ava pilot that there is out there. And <laughs> seemingly, and that's because he, he is an angel that can easily connect and understands the Ava units and understands that the Ava mm-hmm. units are people. Um, yeah. I want to say, by the way, there's a little Sile scene in here and Ano, cause it's Ano, this is not in Sotsukawa's script mm-hmm. shows remarkable restraint with the Sile conversation here because it doesn't it doesn't devolve into like pseudo philosophical stuff like it does some other times they're literally just going through the beats of the plot and talking about Gendo they're not they're not talking about the state of humanity or that the Ark of the Covenant will guide us to the next stage of humans dev- it's not, they're not talking about that it's a very efficient scene unlike most Sile scenes so that's nice yes uh Sele isn't absolutely cringe for once. <laughs> so. yeah. uh, oh, you're right. We should talk about... Um, so, Kaoru is probably a clone, because Rei's a clone, and Kaoru is like... Kaoru says he's like Rei. So, if he is a clone, there are a couple of theories that float around that are kind of silly... That range from kind of silly to sort of sensible. If he's a character we know, I think he's... Dr. Katsuragi, Masato's father. That's my assumption. I thought it was Lorenz Kiel. Um, you know, just because Kiel has the strongest connection to Kaoru, as far as, mm-hmm. like, a father-parental figure would go, uh, probably ended up raising him to a degree. But <laughs> Can you imagine being raised by Lorenz Kiel? He's like a <laughs> cyborg man who lives in a room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably as much as like Gendo raised Shinji, if you get what I mean. But uh, <laughs> but Kaoru, uh, Kaoru being a clone of of Misato's father actually makes the most sense to me. Uh, having heard your explanation for it, because Kaoru visually is you know very ethnically Japanese coded. It's hard to say yeah. with an anime art style, but I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be Japanese. Yeah, it feels very Japanese coded, and so. Lawrence Kiel, as far as I'm aware, is a white German guy. Kind of makes more sense yeah. for Kaoru to be Japanese in origin. I know that there's strong arguments to be made that in Rebuild, uh, Kaoru is a clone of Gendo. Um, it's a little... I think that's a little silly. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, why would be, like, one question. <laughs> and and also well, the fact it's that Shinji's Kaoru father. has... Kaoru has no... Is the main thing. Kaoru has no allegiance or commitment to Gendo whatsoever and has absolutely no relationship but between them. But he kind of does in the rebuild. It, 
yes in the rebuild he says father blah 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 you know he has like all those things but that was added yeah. uh retroactively later on so i i don't i totally buy that for rebuild canon kaoru is a clone of gendo i don't mm-hmm. think that was the intention i don't think that's built into the story because like misano's dad was the one who was conducting the contact experiment and kaoru was yeah. born during the second impact which <laughs> misano's father was the one yeah, who is responsible which happened for at the south pole yeah where his father was yeah, yeah. so it makes so, a lot more sense so it makes sense that the katsuragi expedition and masato's dad came into contact with adam which then created kaoru as a consequence of that um so i'm totally more willing to buy that kaoru is a clone of masato's father i think it also ties in thematically with the idea that masato is all sus with about kaoru you know like masato's trying to look into him and and it seems to have this obsession with him that he's like he's he's not normal there's something off about this guy and and it just it works better for the character dynamics i think the only reason why you'd want to shift to gendo is because you just depict kaoru and rei as kind of the mother father figure a lot in eoe and rebuild and stuff so um yeah speaking of masato is trying to figure out who Yes. Yeah. Go Ultimately, on. though, it really does not matter who Kaoru is a clone of. It is so unimportant that it doesn't matter it, at all. It doesn't matter. Even if he was a clone of Gendo, like, Shinji and Rei have so much Oedipal complex stuff that it's fine if this is a son-father romance or whatever. But <laughs> God. It is... Oh, God. Evangelion's a little messed up, I gotta say. <laughs> wow i didn't even think about that it's oh a my God. it's a little oof. weird that's why i i oof. care at least that big he's not oof. but <laughs> big oof um and why i don't but think yeah. it was intended that way i don't think it was intended that way uh that that shinji and kaoru are supposed to be father son but whatever hopefully not um uh, <laughs> hopefully not that would be uh awkward uh, yeah, but anyway, so there's another running theme in this episode, which is Masato trying to figure out the secrets of Kaoru, which is a continuation. Her her whole arc in this last six episodes, ever since Kaji died, has literally just been, I'm gonna... Masato's very vengeful, actually. She's a very bitter, vengeful character, if you stop and think about it. I mean, that's what she, she, she says, says outright, she's driven by revenge. <laughs> she does, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you don't think about it, because she's so bubbly and upbeat all the time that you don't really think of her as like a grim Avenger character. But she is. She's entirely motivated. Her reason for fighting the angels and leading this charge against them is because she feels like they killed her father, and she wants revenge for that, even though she didn't even like her father. But she still wants revenge. So really what she's doing now, she's trying to get revenge for Kaji after he's died. So she's trying to figure out why did he die, who killed him, and I'm going to get oh, back for that. Oh, you know, by the way, one thing about this, um, you have a note here that says that Kaoru gives Shinji a little speech that sounds like it would come from Kaji, but is more open. People yeah. have noticed the connections between Kaji and Kaoru uh, before oh, yeah, I've yeah, heard yeah. that. I've heard that before. But Misato says Kaji is just like her father. So I'm just Maybe. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I don't think that's proof of anything, but that's a really cool connection. Uh, also, he couldn't I think before we've thought is Karu a clone of Kaji? I think we've had that conversation years ago. Um and uh I mean it's possible, but Kaji would have only been like 10 years old when Karu was born, so I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't 14. think Kaji was in the South Pole either. But okay, yeah. no. <laughs> so, yeah. so who knows? Anyway, again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just fun to think about. Uh, so then we get uh, another great scene 
which uh, I think Ano wrote. So Karu walks in, Shinji's sitting down. Again, we gotta have the the Karu over Shinji thing, and Shinji's listening to something on his Walkman, and Karu's like, hey, were you waiting here for me? And Shinji's like, well, sort of, and then they kind of flirt a little bit, and then... Kaoru's like, hey, you want to have a bath? And Shinji's like, ah, what? Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> He's being kind of coy about it. And on the headphones, I do want to point this out. You can hear the song Ode to Joy. Another thing that I don't know if a lot of people notice, there is no incidental music in this episode. At no point is there OST. At no point. I think it's only there Ode is to Joy, no... right? It's only Ode to Joy. Kaoru hums it at the beginning. You hear it on Shinji's Walkman here, and then it plays at the end. So other than the opening and ending themes, there is no other music but Ode to Joy in this episode. It's such yeah. a nice little touch. It's it's a really good directing decision. Also, um, I want to mention that as far as like when Kaoru comes in to ask Shinji if he wants to go to the bath together. Yep. Um, I really like the cuts where you are far overhead. You have this like really, really distant overhead shot. And then you punch, yeah. you punch in with these close-ups. Like Kaoru smiles, like Shinji reacts, like it punches in and out. And it kind of has mm-hmm. this uh, like heart beating kind of sensation uh, in the way that it's directed. Because it's 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 very ba-dump, ba-dump. I, it, the way that it's like just cut together and the way that the shots are jumping back between extreme long and extreme close-up is like or not extreme mm-hmm. close-up but close-up is, is very effective and it kind of it adds <laughs> that sense of romance i think uh very good directing i think so here. too so yeah and yeah. and again those those long shots those wide shots those far away shots really again give you the sense of a god looking down on his tiny little ant children yeah yeah kind of it does feel very like otherworldly and godlike a lot of people love to criticize, you know, religious symbolism in Ava, but I also think that this episode and Ava handles it pretty well. I think I think people really underrate how the religious themes are tied in. Um, it could be easily read as this is like a retelling of the Book of Judas and stuff like that, with uh, mm-hmm. with Jesus kind of acting yeah. as Kaoru and Shinji acting as uh, as Judas. Here, it's it's fairly one to one. So, it, it is. It's a fairly obvious comparison. There. Yeah, and I think it's well done. It's not like disrespectful. It, you know, it kind of. I think it's interesting um, storytelling. And again, as we've said in previous episodes, as long as you can make a connection and you can justify it, it doesn't matter what the intent was. So even if Anno is like, "Oh, the religious imagery means nothing," if you can connect this story to the t- the the crucifixion which <laughs> that's not hard to do, then it's a valid read of the episode. It does not matter what the writer intended <laughs> at all, as long as you can justify it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so here we have and the bath scene. They go to the baths too. They're washing. Oh my God. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like washing the feet of Jesus and what washing like how, the feet of or, Jesus. Or, or, or Jesus yeah. Judas, a Jesus, to, like, well, Oh, Judas, Jesus. Yeah. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus takes some time feet, yeah. to wash Judas's feet. Yeah. And that's yeah. like to yeah. cleanse him and all that. And which in, is in the in book Death of Judas, too, by the way, so. in, in the book of Judas, which is not canon by most Christian standards, but was written around the same time. It kind of arguably should be considered canon. It's Christian it's fan kind of fiction. Written, it's written in that sort of era, the correct era yeah. that they were, but they didn't find it until later. But the idea, <laughs> the idea is that, I, I'd argue it's more like DLC. Um, 
but uh <laughs> so in it judas and jesus were uh were actually in cahoots like the crucifixion was was planned and judas actually made the sacrifice to be kind of the scapegoat for everyone intentionally like it was it was part of the plan that he would be the person because jesus had to go on the cru- the cross it was part of the entire the destiny the the whole yeah. thing and so judas was is more of like going to be the villain um of everyone and kind of sacrificing himself to be seen that way when it was like in actuality it was more mutual and that's kind of what's paralleled here in ava where the the counter sacrifices is mutually understood and it's something mm-hmm. that yeah i don't know that sounds like uh some <laughs> Some fangirl, some Yowie fangirl <laughs> of the Bible who couldn't accept the canon, so they rewrote it to make it more of their liking. Not Judas Kuhn. <laughs> he couldn't be so evil. So I ship them. Book. It's my ship. Um, uh, it's my ship. OTB. Uh, speaking of. so We're here, going to hell. We're, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're gay. We're going to hell anyway. Um, That's true. So, so, speaking of which, we have Kaoru say here which he tells shinji in this like confessional moment you know your heart is like glass um i did you fix that <laughs> i wrote it down i tried to write it down in japanese i don't think i did <laughs> <laughs> i uh i think it's correct actually um okay but uh anyway kaoru tells shinji that he loves him in this very confessional kind of moment and the word that mm-hmm. he uses is ski which I think is like really interesting because there's a lot of debate about ski as it used here, but it's not really, there's not really debate in Japan. Ski culturally is a way to confess romantic feelings for it. Because if you say Aishiteru mm-hmm. or like, I love you in this kind of yeah. way, if you use the word I, it's extremely clingy, extremely stalkerish. It would make Kaoru feel like a stalker is what it is. Right. And, and so J- Japan is very indirect with their, love confessions this is dated back even into the early uh 20th century where they would say the moon is beautiful isn't it um to say i love you in an indirect way you would be comparing the person to the moon and then that would be your way of confessing your love for someone which by the way kaoru is very associated with the moon in very in various marketing material but uh in japan there's no debate about like kaoru being that this is a confession of, or at least Shinji perceives it as a confession of love, essentially. Um, and Dan Kanamatsu, who is the translator for Netflix, famously changed it to like. And yes, ski does mean like, but it's more close to like, like, which is more similar to love. It's missing a lot of that cultural context. And so yeah. I just wanted to highlight that here that saying, um, love you in english is already vague it's already vague as is yeah uh like what kind of love do you mean religious love paternal love uh friendship yeah. love fraternal love or yeah, or do you mean so partner love love is, love is such a vague word already and it's more yeah. correct to say that here where it's like there is that romantic that slight romantic connotation that's exactly equivalent to skita kurasa so I, I kind of disagree with Dan Kanamatsu's translation. It just it takes away cultural context. Too. So it does a little bit. I don't think it's queer erasure though. I think a lot of people think this is like oh this is awful queer erasure. I think the context is still there. I think the romantic context is there even if you change the word love to the word like. Yeah, um, I mean it's pretty obvious. People, like, I mean they're blushing. The, you're worthy of, the of my grace. Like what the hell does you're worthy of my grace mean if not 
you are worthy of, you know, <laughs> it's very old fashioned, but it's like, if you saw that in a Shakespeare play, you'd be like, oh, those two are gonna, a little later, I guess. <laughs> like, you wouldn't yeah. be like, oh, how, what a beautiful friendship. Um, I mean, so Shinji I don't think it's really queer erasure, even if that's what he meant to do. I don't think it works. So Shinji flinching when Kaoru touches his hand and the blushing mm. all over the place. The visual connotation is unmistakable. Uh, they kissed mm. in the original draft of the script. I don't know what you want. You know, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to debate. And in Japan, yeah. there just isn't that debate. But in the United States, like I remember when I was a teenager debating with people on various online forums about like is our Kaoru and Shinji gay and uh I've I was always of the the opinion that Kaoru um that that Shinji is definitely experiencing some gay feelings right now whether Kaoru is yeah. like supposed to be like more uh, a godly love or a romantic love I think is up for debate in the original script I would say not really like it's, not it, it's pretty mutually romantic but <laughs> in the original script yeah um, he kisses him out of nowhere he's just Kaoru's just like hey smooch and he yeah <laughs> and I I think that I think Shinji is definitely experiencing some bi curiosity uh here and whether kaoru is also at, in his human side is doing that or if it's like an angel thing that's up for debate but i don't think I that guess. you can i don't think you can remove the fact that there is an overtly homoerotic right. element happening here and it definitely speaks shinji is unmistakably attracted to him like yes that's that's like yeah and, and i think kaoru is in, he loves Shinji in some fashion or way, and it doesn't even really matter how, how, which way. Yeah, I do want to correct you on one thing though. I think Dan Kanamatsu works for Ga uh, not Gainax, uh, for Kara. Actually, he does work works. for Kara. Yeah, he does work for Kara directly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's he was appointed by uh, Hideakiano's staff and whatnot. I don't think that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that Dan is. Dan did basically a. a uh, a fairly literal translation with no bones about it. And yeah. I just, the problem I have is just that there's not enough culture kind of taken into it. No. And there's, there's it. weird yeah. things like calling them the first children and the second children, which I don't understand at all. I don't, that doesn't sound good. It's not interesting. It's so weird to be so literal about that. And the Amazon dub of the rebuilds, which I believe was done after this, it doesn't do that. No. And it didn't do that, right? Yeah, so it's so strange. It's so weird. I don't know what agreement they made. Dan or also how worked that with the Amazon dub. It's kind of it's it's a little strange. Yeah, I don't know. the 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 translation and and localization is a little all over the place. Um, but uh, I mm. think, and and I, I just as a side note. I don't think Dan is like a bad person. I think he's, no, 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 not at all. Yeah, I think he's. Um, he did the best that he could <laughs> and, and he did it as he saw was fit for this and it's correct. It's just not, it's just not what, how I would personally have approached the translation having, I did study Japanese in college. I've been, become <laughs> oh, extremely yeah. rusty, uh, but I know enough cultural context, uh, from my professors to know that this is not how it should be translated in my opinion. So, uh, yeah. Hey guys, so this is actually a two-hour recording of us talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion episode 24. 
Um, and I thought that was a little long for a podcast episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this into a weekly two-parter. So what that means is you won't have to wait two weeks for our next episode. The second part of this will be released uh, Tuesday, August 8th, I believe. And uh, yeah, so that's next week. I really appreciate you all for listening to this. I love doing this podcast. I hope you're enjoying listening to it. And uh, yeah, so we'll see you next week.